0: Welcome back to Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. 2023 is officially upon us. This year is a big one for our show, as it marks the five-year anniversary of Politics Weekly. Let's take a look back at some of the biggest news stories of the past year. In 2022, Russia attacked Ukraine, sparking a global response from the rest of the world. The United States Supreme Court overturned the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling, leaving the right to abortion up to individual states. Former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home was raided by the FBI. Despite rumors of a red wave, Republicans saw mixed results in this year's past midterm election cycle narrowly gaining a majority in the United States House of Representatives, but failing to take back the U.S. Senate. Trump himself also declared his candidacy for the White House in 2024. 2022 also saw some high-profile political deaths. Madeleine Albright, the former U.S. Secretary of State, died. Albright served under former President Bill Clinton, and was the first woman in that position. Orrin Hatch, the longtime Utah Senator, also died. In addition to being a longtime Senator, Hatch also served as the President Pro Temp of the United States Senate, making him fourth in line to the Presidency. Hatch himself also launched an unsuccessful campaign for the White House in 2000. Norman Mineta, the first Asian man to ever serve in a U.S. presidential cabinet post, also died. Mineta served under Bill Clinton, a Democratic president, and former President George W. Bush, a Republican. In addition to serving in multiple cabinet roles, Mineta also served as a congressman from California and the former mayor of San Jose, California. Democratic donor Mark Shields also died, as did former President Donald Trump's ex-wife, Ivana Trump. Indiana Congresswoman Jackie Warliski was killed a congresswoman before she could be reelected. Ken Starr, famous for publishing the Starr Report, that led to the impeachment of former President Bill Clinton also died. Ash Carter, the former Secretary of Defense under former President Barack Obama, died as well. Virginia Congressman Don McEachin died after a long battle with cancer. McEachin died just after being reelected. Thank you all again for your continued support over these past five years. I look forward to seeing you all in 2023. Now, please enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right-leaning lenses. Hosted by award-winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor-in-chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Everyone, welcome back to Politics Weekly. Uh, this is the first episode of 2023, the first episode uh, of our sixth season. Uh, thank you again, uh, all for joining me. Uh, today I have a very special guest, uh, Chad. He is from the uh, last uh, gay conservative podcast. Uh, and he joins me today. Thank you, Chad, for joining me.
1: It's super excited to be here. I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. So,
0: Well, thank you when so I... much. Thank you so much. Uh, tell me a little bit about your podcast, The Last Gay Conservative Podcast.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think myself, uh, people like Candace Owens, people who represent minorities in a non-left community, if you will, where like with Candace Owens, the black community with me being a gay man, the gay community. Uh, In the recent last few years, even there's been this emergence of people that are these minorities that are expected to vote and live in a certain political ecosystem and come out and said, wait a minute. I don't subscribe to any of this. And furthermore, just because I'm gay or just because I'm black or just because I'm trans even doesn't mean that I have to be one way or the other. Now, obviously, in my circle, it's people who would traditionally be on the left who are more subscribed to right wing politics. But the same is going on on the other side as well, where conservatives Are coming out of the woodwork and saying, wait a minute, none of this applies to me anymore, even though I'm supposed to be a certain way. I'm moving over to the left. So we're seeing this sort of representation of minorities crisscrossing in between uh, the political sides. And what our podcast is all about is representing those minorities, especially in the LGBTQ community that are looking for something different. Than what they've expect, what they've been expected to be. And so, our podcast it's not a LGBTQ or gay only podcast. We discuss all the news and all the recent events, but we always want to make sure that we connect what we're talking about to the minorities that we represent and the the people that we represent, and how it would better them to be on this side of the aisle. Than on the other side, if that makes any sense.
0: Well, that's interesting. I know there's been um, a lot of talk about minorities over the last couple of years switching over from voting Democrat to voting Republican. Specifically, there's been a lot of talk about the Hispanic vote and how a lot of Hispanics that are traditionally Democratic have been kind of bleeding over to Republicans. And that's hurt. That's been a liability for Democrats in uh, some elections. Do you think that minorities as a whole are shifting away from voting Democrat and maybe voting for more conservative politicians?
1: I think key minorities as a whole, I wouldn't say like the LGBTQ community and more like cultural minorities, but race races, if you will, are definitely starting to shift. We saw more black votes in uh, the 2016 and the 2020 and now just the recent midterms than we've ever seen. The black vote is growing uh exponentially moving over from uh, very left or traditionally Democrat to voting Republican. Trump garnered a significant amount of black votes, which was extremely surprising, I think, to many of us. Um, but yes, I do see a shift. I think the uh, Latino population, especially those that might have been considered dreamers, if you will, or you know,, um, they're also seeing a flood of immigration come through. Much easier than how they had to, you know, take their path to either uh, resident permanent residency or citizenship. And I think there's a contention of fairness there where, like, this isn't fair. I had to do XYZ, and now thousands and thousands of people are making their way over with an expectation that they'll be permanent residents. So there's small little factors in the culture right now that are driving minorities over. Do I think it's enough to make a significant difference in the electorate, especially for Republicans? No, I don't think it's going to be a a make or break situation. I think it will be strong, but I think we still need to focus on our core um, and not hold this sort of shift of minorities to the right as um, our saving grace, if you will.
0: Um, and I know that you uh, have uh, I know you've said you have over a hundred and fifty k listeners um how How did you get your podcast started, and how did you kind of build it up over time?
1: Yeah, so we started in February. We're just coming on our year. um just to give you a little bit of background. I sold um pretty large marketing agency um a year prior to when we started so When I decided to do a podcast, it was really just for friends and family. You know, my whole life has been surrounded uh, with politics. It's just been a passion of mine since I was a kid, but I, I worked in other things. I never, you know, took it seriously as a career. And then I, you know, I started with maybe a handful of 20, 25 friends and family And I guess I just have the best sharers in the world and I'm representing a niche market that was really underrepresented and it just blew up. So we went, went from 20 to, I think my last episode had 168,000 downloads. So it's, um, it's been crazy to, to see and admittedly very hard to scale that quickly.
0: Mm, Wow. Um, well, that's all really interesting. Um, why don't we uh, jump into some of the news stories uh, this week? Because I want to get your uh, your view on some of the stories. Uh, so starting with um, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, this week was elected speaker um, after a contentious uh, vote. Um, it took 15 rounds for Kevin McCarthy to be elected Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. Um <clears throat> he mostly faced opposition from his own party. Um initially 20 Republicans voted against him, and then it grew to 21, but then shrank to just five present votes. Um uh, McCarthy himself um mostly faced opposition uh from members of Congress, such as Florida Congressman. Matt Gates uh and uh Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Bobart. Uh McCarthy finally was elected uh after multiple days without a speaker and without an assembled Congress. This is the most rounds uh that any uh speaker has gone, that any person has gone without being elected speaker uh in a hundred years since 1923. Uh, most of the members of Congress that voted against McCarthy as Speaker that were Republican uh, cited uh, a number of factors, uh, such as McCarthy being unwilling uh, to introduce a bill on term limits, uh, and McCarthy uh, not uh, giving them a one no confidence vote initially, though he did offer a no confidence vote. Uh, if five members were able to, uh, trigger it, uh, McCarthy ultimately made many of the concessions, uh, that, uh, the, uh, holdouts were asking for and gained votes. Uh, finally, uh, last Saturday, he was elected speaker of the United States House of Representatives just after midnight, uh, Also, uh, Hakeem Jeffries on the Democratic side uh, has become the House Minority Leader for the Democratic Party. Um, He is the first black man to ever serve uh, as the number one, uh, as the leader uh, of either major party conference. Um, McCarthy, obviously Republicans, gained uh, back the United States House of Representatives in November. However, they currently only hold a narrow five-seat majority. What are your thoughts on Kevin McCarthy being elected Speaker of the House?
1: Yeah, so I I take kind of a, a different approach. Uh, I am heavily involved in the Con- Convention of States Action, which is a uh, group, basically, and we're working to create or have a convention of states using article five in the constitution so i take a very different look at democracy i believe that it's supposed to be difficult and these debates and fights and contentious discussions are all what our founders intended and that is how you really get the best decisions for the people so as everyone was freaking out going these people just need to concede. It makes Republicans look ridiculous. And you know, I look at it and I say, look, you've got 20 people that are part of the Freedom Caucus that have serious concerns that we're going to go into another Congress with all of these promises. And then the middle of the road, Republicans will sink all of those things once they're in power. So they put their heels in the sand and they fought for their constituents, what they felt their constituents would want them to fight for. And it was actually a beautiful thing to me, as as chaotic as it may have seemed on the outside, it was really a beautiful thing to watch this all come together uh, using democracy as it was intended to be used. Having someone who's the third person in command of this country should the vice president and president be unable to do their job, should be a serious, long, massive voting process. In the last, as you've said, 100 years, there has been some contention. But to your point, it's really been more of a popularity contest, hasn't it? Where people like Nancy Pelosi have adoring fans that just vote them in and they blink and all of a sudden they're Speaker of the House without any challenges. And I would think that a hundred percent of constituents on the Democratic side don't probably want to, you know, didn't want to elect uh, Nancy Pelosi. But because she's popular on the hill, she she doesn't have any pushback. So I think it was a good thing. I'm still very unsure about McCarthy. I think he's a good person, and I think he's a a great representative. I think he did an okay job as the whip. My fear, though, is, and as we've seen, a hundred times now since 2016 is that now that we're aligned and now that he's been elected, my biggest fear is that he won't follow through with some of the uh, concessions that he made. And they were concessions mainly just to get votes. And And I think that's a fair sort of hesitation. The other thing that I think uh, about the Kevin McCarthy election to speaker Is, you know, Byron Donalds, who's a representative from Florida, came out, he was on Fox News, and he broke down exactly what Kevin McCarthy promised him for his vote. I think every single member of the Republican Party who flipped for a reason should come out and outline exactly what the quid pro quo quo was for their vote. To flip to McCarthy. So there's a lot of interesting things going on. There's promises being made, there's backdoor deals, there's the Freedom Caucus that has a lot of fear. And all of that was kind of a powder keg that exploded. But somehow, and I think a lot of this is came back to his experience as the whip. McCarthy was able to flip those people. Um I would just like a little bit more insight as to how and what was promised, but the concessions that he made were fair. I think there's some big ones that were missed, but we'll see. uh, We'll see how it goes.
0: Uh, All right. Well, let's move on to the other story. Uh, So now that McCarthy has been um, has been elected speaker, Every uh, member of Congress that was elected in the 2022 cycle, or rather every uh, United States House of Representatives member has finally been able to be sworn in. That was something that was not uh, permitted until uh, a speaker was chosen. But now that they have been sworn in, um, now that they've been sworn in, uh, there is one controversial uh, member of Congress. Uh, That has uh, also been uh, sworn in. Uh, George Santos is a Republican uh, New York uh, congressman uh, who was recently elected in the Long Island area. He flipped a seat from blue to red. Um, However, uh, Santos um, actually has experienced uh, a number of controversies uh, lately, specifically when it comes to his record uh some uh uh some uh bits uh, of of information uh have indicated that uh santos uh likely lied about uh, multiple aspects of his life uh from his identity to where he uh went to school to what job he had uh and he's currently under investigation uh for potentially uh lying Uh, about campaign contributions that he received while on the campaign trail. Uh, Santos, um, one one, uh, element that uh, came under scrutiny uh, with Santos uh, was uh, that he claimed he was uh, a Jewish-Hispanic member of Congress. Uh, Santos claimed uh, that his uh, grandmother... Uh, was from europe and that she escaped the holocaust Uh, however uh, records show that his grandmother uh, was born in south america Um, santos later admitted uh, that he was not of jewish ancestry um, and later said he was Uh, jewish many uh, people called for santos to not be sworn in. However, he was sworn in, ultimately, which has now prompted already calls for him to resign. Um, But uh, so far, he is not resigning. Uh, However, um, uh, given the current House uh, Ethics Committee investigation against him, uh, that could uh, change things depending on what the verdict on that is regarding his campaign contributions what are your thoughts uh on uh george santos's controversies
1: well first of all i think the guy's an idiot um and he should be he should have never even made it to be sworn in i've been calling for mccarthy to ban him and uh, get rid of him since day one however i think mccarthy needed those that one vote could be a make or break at that time so now it's time for them to expel him from Congress. He has lied about every single aspect of his life. His religion, his education, his parents, his grandparents, his job history. No one knows where it starts or where it stops. And what a lot of people say, I mean I just got an email maybe a couple of days ago from a friend of mine who's very very well known in conservative politics and and he heard me talk about it and he says, "Well, Joe Biden lied." And about all of the same things in the 80s in his primary run for president, what's the difference? Well, There is no difference. However, Joe Biden's lied and and gotten to where he is, and it's a lot more difficult now, and it would be almost impossible now to tie the two things together. I think it's become irrelevant. Here we have a relevant congressman who flipped a Democratic seat and made up all these stories thinking it would help him get elected when really none of that stuff matters anymore. You know, you don't have to be Jewish, especially in his uh, district. It's not uh, a district that votes primarily on uh, religion, like other very heavily Jewish parts of the community in New York. He's said that he's gay, um, but then he said he was married to a woman. That really bothers me. I think one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about getting rid of this guy is because gay men in Republican conservative politics are few and far between. And so when you represent that small community, like I do, like he would, the pressure is on you to be a a great example of how a traditionally non-republican group very left group of people in the lgbtq community when you have breakoffs all the the pressure is on you to be a strong representative so i think he used his whether or not he's gay or not that's still up in the air but he used that as well which really bothers me but a bigger point i think everyone's missing here is that He's lying for his own gain, and it's based on his own inferiority complexes about how much money he has, who his parents are, whatever. He's just a sociopathic liar. Because if you look at the same state and in, in you know the same very metro area, you've got AOC, who was a bartender. So I don't think voters anymore look so much for that Ivy League. Uh, type resume. They're more interested in the, I guess the word would be the vibe or the feeling that they get and the personality and making sure these people are walking the streets, knocking on their doors and feel connected to the community. So for him to lie about college and working at Goldman Sachs, that's all just his own insanity. And I don't think made a difference of him get would have made a difference with him getting elected or not and so when you look at it like that and you see that this person is just clearly broken morally and has no ethics that's that's scary you know whereas other lying politicians on the campaign trail have lied in order to get votes it's still bad but to me it's even worse to lie just to lie
0: one. All right. So let's move on to our next story. Uh, so the next story involves the 2024 presidential election. Um obviously, we don't know if Joe Biden is running again or not. Uh, but obviously, there is uh likely to be a Republican uh primary uh or there is going to be a Republican challenge against him. And people will be closely watching to see who that Republican nominee will be. Right now, two Republicans uh, uh, have declared or before before uh, this next gentleman, two Republicans had previously declared their uh, their candidacy for president. Uh, One was former U.S. President Donald Trump, uh, and the other one was a long shot candidate, Corey Stapleton. He was the former Secretary of State of Montana. Uh, Well, now we have another uh, candidate in the race for president. That is John Bolton. Uh, John Bolton served uh, under the last four Republican presidents. He served under Ronald Reagan. He served under George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, and Donald Trump. Uh, He was... uh, He mostly came to prominence in the public uh, spotlight uh, during his time under the George W. Bush administration when he served as the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Um, Following this and following the election of President Donald Trump, Bolton was initially a supporter of Donald Trump, which led to him uh, being um, uh, appointed to the role of national security advisor. Uh, however, uh, following uh, his election or following his appointment to the position, he had multiple disagreements with President Trump and ultimately uh, left the White House uh, and would go on to trash uh, President Trump uh, for a number of issues. Uh, now Bolton has declared that he is running for president um uh bolton uh did say that he thought it was imperative for president donald trump to be stopped uh from running for president again uh however uh despite that bolton uh also um despite bolton saying that uh he did also add that his run was not just an attempt to try and stop Donald Trump from being the Republican nominee again, but also uh, that he uh, was in the race, according to him, he was in the race to ultimately win the election. Uh, What are your thoughts uh, on uh, John Bolton uh, entering uh, the race for president?
1: Well, you did forget one candidate who came out, Yee or Kanye has also come out and said he's running for president. And I think he has a better chance of winning than John Bolton. Does. Well, I'm just talking about in the
0: Republican. <laughs> oh, field okay. Right okay. Now. Well because I know I know Marianne Williamson has technically
1: oh, declared that yeah. she's
0: a Democrat, but uh but in terms of just the Republicans, well, I believe right. he is running as an independent candidate.
1: Listen, if you have to come out and say My campaign is not simply to make a point about President Trump, then that means that your campaign is there to make a point about President Trump. If your campaign is serious and you launch a strong campaign with strong fundraising efforts and you're the election predictor, so you know more than I do when it comes to this, but I would say you wouldn't need to add any of that if you came out of the gate strong. Bolton represents everything that Trumpers hate. He's been an establishment Republican from the time he worked with Ronald Reagan all the way through his time with George W. Bush. And he goes to to work for Trump. And Trump isn't a George W. Bush. Trump's, you know, he's he's not that. He's not an establishment Republican. And so John Bolton, who's used to being the top dog, can't take a back seat to Donald Trump so rather than rather than do things you know intellectually and uh, present a valid argument he's just gone on the trash train and i think what we're seeing and we saw this a lot in the midterms is that candidates who ran a campaign merely trashing another candidate did not do so well with americans I think Americans are kind of tired of the continual, he said, she said, battle online, just constant chaos. And they're actually looking for a little bit more, um, uh, you know, I don't know what I, the word that I'm thinking of, but they're looking for a little bit of a more calm approach to politics, especially as we go into 2024. The other thing is, is that traditionally, uh, politicians who have come out against Trump don't fare well or very long because Trump does have a die hard fan base that will or voter base that will do anything to make sure that he gets elected. And so I, I think he's got two things against him. One, he's, everyone knows him as just a mudslinger against Trump and the Trump, uh, the Trump, Army, if you will, will block his bid. And then the other thing he has against him is that he's not a serious candidate. No one sees him as serious because, you know, he's, he's, they're used to seeing him on the view, <laughs> things like that, mudslinging against Trump. So I, I, he's not going to do well. I don't think he'll do well at all. He's very hated amongst Trump Republicans even more middle-of-the-road Republicans. He's really done himself a disservice um, with his outlandish behavior, and and I don't think that he has a chance to win. And I think a lot of these early pop-ups that you're seeing right now are more press moves than they are legitimate campaigns. I mean, even Trump's campaign so far has been pretty unremarkable. So when you when you look at that, the whole setup and you have someone like John Bolton or you know Kanye or whatever these people that just come out of the woodwork I don't think they' they should be taken seriously and you know just to drive my point home if you have to come out and say you're not running to make a point about a former president and you have to say that so the masses understand that then more than likely you're actually doing that
0: Gotcha. So uh, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, political observers are already looking to 2024, as we talked about in our last story. But they're not just looking at the presidential election, which is considered the biggest contest. But they're also looking at some down ballot elections. Uh, the California Senate election is expected to be highly watched. Uh, while it is a Democratic state and most political observers at the current moment do not expect Republicans to flip uh, a U.S. Senate seat in California, um, there have been some talks uh, about whether the incumbent uh, Congresswoman, Dianne Feinstein, uh, could run for reelection. Feinstein is 89 years old. Uh, and has been in the position uh, of a U.S. Senator since 1992. Because of this, there's been a lot of pressure for Feinstein to step down and retire in 2024. Um, It is unknown uh, uh, whether Feinstein will retire yet. Uh, It should be noted uh, that she has filed paperwork to run again, uh, which many people took as uh, a uh, a uh, sign that she was running. Uh, but Feinstein's campaign uh, pushed back against this, saying that even though she was filing, did not mean she had made a decision just yet. Feinstein has claimed that she will make a statement and her campaign will announce whether she is running in 2023. There have been a lot of rumors about candidates That could run to replace her uh, from uh, Barbara Lee, the congresswoman from California, uh, who would be the first black woman to become a U.S. senator if elected, uh, to Adam Schiff, uh, who uh, gained a lot of traction uh, as the chair of the House Intelligence uh, Committee uh, under the presidency of Donald Trump. He was a staunch critic of President Donald Trump and gained a lot of traction for that. Uh, But we now have one Democrat that has officially declared her candidacy. Uh, Katie Porter is a congresswoman uh, that represents a swing district in Orange County. Uh, She is known to be a pretty progressive voice in the Democratic Party, uh, despite the fact that she – despite the fact uh, that – she is uh, in a Purple Swing district. Uh, Porter um, uh, narrowly survived her re-election bid to the United States House of Representatives uh, this year uh, and has officially announced that she will be running uh, regardless of whether Feinstein chooses to run or not. It's important for our uh, listeners to know that in California, there are no party primaries uh there is only uh, a single primary where all the candidates get on the ballot and the top two advance to the general election those top two could be two republicans or two democrats um it doesn't matter which uh ones um so you could end up with a scenario where there's a republican and a democrat uh on the ballot running against each other uh but you could also uh, end up with a scenario uh where uh there are two Democrats uh running against each other on the ballot, especially given how competitive this race is expected to be amongst just Democrats. Uh, you, you mentioned uh earlier to me that you uh you are a constituent uh, of Congresswoman Porter. What are your thoughts on her candidacy and what? chances does she have of actually becoming a united states senator
1: you know uh i do i she's my congresswoman i can't believe it where i live is a relatively conservative part of california as you mentioned it's a swing but that swing is very new it's been traditionally little red dots where where i am and it's uh, amazing to me that someone who is so active in the Uh, progressive caucus which has essentially defined themselves as uh, democratic socialists could be so electable i guess in orange county she's all talk 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 no substance i you know she just put her bid in we've known for many years um for a long time that her sights are set on senate or vp or some state or national position a governorship she's widely unpopular with most people that i talk to and i don't have you know stats in front of me but most people when they kind of get a better understanding of who she is just as a person she's not polished she doesn't have a senator Um, sort of air about her. And I will tell you, if Dianne Feinstein runs again, Katie Porter might as well just drop out because Dianne Feinstein could literally be dead um, and being controlled like a puppet, and she would still win the elections in California. She just has such a strong foothold. And I don't think a lot of Californians care that she's 90 years old. Uh, But that being said, Katie Porter is also an incredible fundraiser. You know, I think she was the fifth, she was the fifth uh, top fundraiser in Congress uh, for the midterm or the 2020. I I can't remember exactly when, but she's an incredible fundraiser. And that makes uh, me very, very scared for her Senate bid because even if she doesn't win, she's still going to get much more national exposure and maybe position herself better for a second win. it's going to be a stretch. It's going to be very interesting. The way California has gone, it's just, we're going more extreme left progressive as, as far as possible, California and New York. So it's definitely going to be a Democrat. It'll be two Democrats on that ticket and we'll just have to see what happens. Um, one thing that I should mention about Katie Porter is that she is notorious for being a nasty, horrible boss who makes racist comments and, screams at her team. And I think one of the concessions that should have been made from McCarthy, which could have happened behind closed doors, is that she's investigated based on all of these anonymous submissions to a Twitter account about the way she treats her team. And now this um, wounded warriors uh, intern that was with her or fellow, if you will, has come out and charged her with all sorts of things there should be an investigation an ethics investigation to see if she's actually treating people that way. And she's actually uh, driving her fellows and interns away because that would certainly for me, um, impact the way I voted for someone, uh, for the Senate, because again, there's such a focus these days on who the person is on top of their policies. And I think that she, uh, should be exposed for that behavior. I also think that she's all flash and no substance. She's really made a name for herself by making nasty question, making nasty comments and questions on her committee seats. You know, for example, one, um, big one that really people were raving about was she had the president of Equifax, um, Uh, testifying uh, uh, around the leak of uh, massive amounts of personal information. And her question to the man was, can I have your social security number to put on all over the public, you know, put all over American public so they can have yours the same way you lost all of theirs. And it's like, what, did that add to a conversation about data protections that need to happen from Congress all the way down to small businesses? It doesn't. But because it's nasty and showy, she gets all of the press attention and the ones that are actually working, be it Democrats or Republicans, fall off into the mist when they're the ones that are actually contributing to fixing the problem and she's just there running her mouth. As you can tell, I really don't like her.
0: <laughs> well, uh let's uh move on uh to the uh next uh story. Uh, apparently also uh Adam Schiff another potential candidate uh released uh a, a statement uh there were rumors he was going to announce today. Uh he has said, uh quote, you do not announce a campaign in the middle of a natural disaster. Uh so uh that could have been Uh, a slight dig at uh, Porter, uh, but uh, we'll just have to see. But uh, let's move on. On the issue uh, of Senate campaigns, um, the Senate is uh, something uh, that Republicans are hoping to gain in 2024. Obviously, they failed to pick it up in 2022, uh, but Republicans are hoping that the map is much better for them in two years. Uh, This is because, Uh, Republicans, uh, or Democrats, rather, are defending seats in multiple states that Donald Trump carried in 2020. Uh, West Virginia, the state that uh, Donald Trump won by over 40 points, uh, Joe Manchin is up for re-election there. That's considered a prime target for Republicans. Montana, a state Trump won by 20. Uh, Republicans are hoping to unseat John Tester. Ohio. Trump won that by nine. They're hoping to take down Sherrod Brown. Uh, But recently, another target opened up uh, in the state of Michigan. Uh, Debbie Stabenow has announced she's the incumbent Democratic senator uh, in Michigan. She has announced that she will not seek another term uh, in uh, Michigan in 2024. This opens up the seat to potentially uh, being uh, competitive uh, in 2024. Obviously, Michigan is a swing state. Joe Biden won it by just uh, by just 3% in 2024. Uh, and now um, it's expected to be an even bigger target for Republicans now that the uh, now that this uh, race has officially, opened up uh, a couple candidates uh, that are thinking about running on the democratic side uh, lieutenant governor uh, Garland Gilchrist a democrat is thinking about uh, running um, uh, as are some other candidates uh, Dana Nessel the attorney general of Michigan is weighing a run as are a few congresswomen including uh, including Eliza Slotkin and Hillary, uh, and Haley Stevens. Um, And on the Republican side, uh, there are some candidates that are rumored to run, uh, including John James, a congressman. James uh, previously uh, ran for uh, the Senate seat in 2018. He was also the Republican nominee for Senate in 2020. Uh, He narrowly lost both times before becoming a U.S. House member. Uh, Other candidates rumored to run, James Craig, the former uh, chief of the Detroit Police Department, uh, Tudor Dixon, uh, and a few others. Peter Meyer is rumored to run. Uh, So um, many Republicans view this as a potential upset. Do you think Republicans uh, have the uh, potential to win this seat?
1: You know, I think all all eyes are on the House right now. And I think what Kevin McCarthy does and House GOP uh, Congress people do is really going to give the voters a sense of how much of the issues are they at least trying to attack. Um, I think 2024 is huge for Republicans. I think there's seven open Senate seats and 13 open House seats. Again, I'm just off the top of my head, you would know better than I do, but it's something like that. And there's a huge opportunity uh, to flip the Senate and gain a lot more majority in the House. But it's all going to be determined on what this House can get done in gridlock um, and um, if they can pass anything through. I think Manchin's in some real trouble unless he flips uh, flips to a different party or makes some serious, uh, blocks of, um, some of the more progressive, especially as it comes to the energy market, uh, to be able to retain his seat, but he's in big trouble since his, um, anti-inflation bill, uh, you know, Michigan's going to be interesting. I don't think there's a front runner there. I think that they, the GOP needs to think long and hard about how they run that Senate race in Michigan, because, uh, an extreme MAGA Republican candidate is not going to be able to flip the Democrat voters that you, you're you going to need in order to win. You know, Trump flipped several blue counties to red that have flipped back to blue. And I think when you see that flip from one to the other back to the other, you really have to play in that middle ground, hoping to gain as many votes from one side or the other, then trying to go very, very extreme again, because although that got the original flip from blue to red, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do that a second time as it's gone back. So Michigan is wide open in the air. I think Ohio's a shoe in for Republicans. JD Vance, one of my favorite politicians of all time. I absolutely love him. Um, you know, destroyed his election, did so well in Ohio. And I think the people of Ohio are ready for another uh, strong Republican candidate. And um, other than that, those other seats are really going to be, you know, they're really going to be up in the air. But if we can pull it off on the Republican side um, and and grab at least 10 of the 13 House seats and, you know, at least five of the seven Senate seats, uh, you know, we'll be looking really, really good.
0: Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to uh the next story. Uh, Diamond of the group Diamond and Silk, uh, has uh officially died. Uh, she's been declared dead. Um, uh, Diamond and Silk, uh, are a a group of uh Trump supporters, uh, that have uh for a number of years. Uh, gained a lot of traction uh, on social uh, media. Um, they've talked about their experience uh, as African American women uh, being Trump supporters, uh, and they've made a number of videos uh, that went uh, viral. Uh, well, one of the two uh, 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 two diamond and silk duo, that being Anitha. Hardaway, who is known on the internet as Diamond, uh, was, uh, was pronounced dead on January 9th. She was only 51 years old. Her cause of death uh, is still unknown as of this time. Uh, former President Donald Trump uh, announced uh, Diamond's death uh, on uh, his uh, Truth Social uh, social media page what are your thoughts uh, on uh, on uh, the death of uh, diamond from diamond and silk
1: you know it's devastating it, it truly is and, and I regardless of what side of the aisle you're on I, I, whenever you lose someone that has risen from essentially rags to riches and stayed true to their convictions and you watch these two people who represent, again, minorities that um, were underrepresented as Trump supporters. And I think one of the beautiful things about them, and I'm I've said it before in a in a in a in a way that isn't offensive, but you know, they represent the they represent the true black community, unlike the, you know, Don Lemons or Trevor Noah's of the world who think they represent the black community, but they don't. These two really came out as true representatives of the black community that supported Trump. They're also very pro-life. Um, I think there's a woven kind of hidden message in Trump's tweet or his uh, truth social post where he's got capitals um, around uh, heart. You know, um, I think she had a heart attack. I don't think that they're that's probably the cause of death. If I'm looking, you know, through his uh, his post. But I mean, it's it's truly devastating, and you know, it's even more devastating to get on Twitter and see uh, my liberal counterparts talking about how happy they are, good riddance. She, you know, she deserved to die for being pro-life, and you know, it's it, it's disgusting, and it, and it shouldn't happen. And I I would hope that everyone would be praying and. Uh, wishing the best for Silk to continue on this amazing legacy that they built together.
0: All right. Uh, well, with that being said, let's move on to the final topic today. Uh, so uh, President Joe Biden uh, has announced that he is adjusting uh, his uh, his policy on immigration. He will uh, not Uh, He is going to be turning away uh, Cuban uh, and uh, Haitian refugees uh, that uh, want to come to America. He has announced uh, that because of how many are coming, uh, he will uh, not be allowing them in. Um, Joe Biden uh, previously had a very open uh, immigration uh, policy stance, which uh gained uh mixed feelings from both sides. Uh, many on the left supported that; many on the right criticized uh, Biden. Uh, but Biden has announced on this issue, uh, he will not uh be letting um uh he will not be letting uh Haitian uh immigrants uh come into the country and Cuban immigrants. What are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, it's interesting. I think that is all a big distraction from what we actually need. I think this is Biden's way of pretending like he's making an effort to secure the border. Cubans are traditionally conservative and Republican, so it makes sense that he would block those. I don't really know what the reasoning for Haitians. You know, what's the difference between that and the people that are coming up from El Salvador and the Dominican Republic, et cetera? I'm I'm not sure. I didn't see a whole lot of reasoning. I think. One thing that we have to remember is that in Biden's first 100 days in office, he signed 94 executive orders on immigration, and he's essentially eliminated almost every tool we've had to secure the border, and he's created the worst border crisis in American history. I mean, immediately stopping the construction of the border wall, attempting to halt deportations for 100 days suspending the remain in Mexico policy that was working very, very well, terminating the asylum cooperative agreement with Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. So they help keep people in their own country instead of driving them to our country. And he's also ended the prompt asylum case review for non-Mexicans and the humanitarian asylum review for Mexicans. So uh, Mexicans are no longer able to be in the asylum program like uh, Guatemalans, Hondurans and El Salvadoranians. Uh, so everything that you're hearing, you know, him going down, this and that, nothing is going to change the fact that he's rolled back fifteen to 20 years of effective border control. And it's almost impossible, especially in the small time he has an office, to go back. I mean, he's actively trying to end Title 42. He's trying to end Remain in Mexico. I mean, he's totally debilitated ICE in America with bad policies. And, you know, one of the things to remember as well is that the numbers are insane, the safety numbers. I mean, under Biden, ICE, for example, 48% fewer convicted criminals than under Trump, 63% deported criminals or less criminals than under Trump deported. Uh, Those are people that are in this country illegally who are also known criminals. And so you, you have that issue as well. I mean, there's so much to the border issue and the illegal immigration issue. And it seems that every time President Biden has an opportunity to make an adjustment that will help, that will take the pressure off some of these border states, that will take the pressure off border patrol agents who are essentially working with one hand tied behind their back, he doesn't do it. And so really what's happening is you've got a huge surge and flood of fentanyl which is directly related to homelessness, homelessness, death, and overdoses. You have criminals that are pouring through at high rates that aren't able to be deported from ICE. And you have all of these people that are starving. They don't have a penny to their name. And it's created a humanitarian crisis right there at the border. And then you've got the flying and the busing and some of the other theatrics happening. But at the end of the day, the border is going to be Biden's biggest failure, uh, leaving the White House, for sure. I think it's going to be his, um, the legacy that he leaves is going to be this failing border.
0: Gotcha. Well, um, <clears throat> with that being said, those are just about all the stories I had on the docket. Uh, Chad, thank you again uh, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, before you head out, do you want to tell people where, uh, you, it, where you can be found on social media and also where they can listen to your show, the last gay conservative podcast.
1: Yeah. So lastgayconservative.com is the website. It has all the show transcripts, every single show that you can download. We're also on Spotify, YouTube, uh, Apple podcasts, Amazon, Google podcasts, wherever you listen, we are. Our social media is just now starting because, like I said, uh, scaling up that quickly has been a little bit difficult. So we're just catching up on social media, but we're last gay conservative on all of um, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And, and, you know, Nolan, I really look forward to having you on the show and getting some of these uh, political predictions that you've been so good at. (laughs) I
0: appreciate that. Thank you.
1: Hey, this was great. I really, really appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, I look forward to hearing from your audience about what they thought. And um, of course, if if you need anything, don't hesitate to ask. You are a great friend of our program. Thank you.
0: Hi, I'm Nolan Cleary, award-winning journalist and host of the hip podcast, Politics Weekly. I'm here to tell you about my new website, nolancleary.com. It's full of political analyses, a link to my podcast, and predictions for upcoming elections. If you want to know everything there is to know about upcoming elections, go to nolancleary.com right now.